And welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So today's episode is really going to push the boundaries of the fringe, as as I like to say, uh, because we are going to talk about a topic that is very interesting, but also extraordinarily odd. So let's start out by saying there is a small chance that some of you have heard of the Frozen Dead Guy Days, which is a festival that occurs every March in Nederland, Colorado. Now, if you have heard of this, then you may or may not know that this is actually based on a real person, the quote-unquote, the frozen dead guy. Uh, His name is Bredo, Grandpa Bredo, and he is being cryogenically frozen up there in Colorado, and there is a person who goes and delivers dry ice every single month to keep him DIY backyard cryologic cryogenically frozen. Uh, I guess you know to him he's cryolo- chronologically frozen as well, but <laughs> cryogenically frozen is is the key part here. Uh, DIY and backyard are are a close second <laughs> and third. So we are going to tell this full story, and I have the expert on this, uh, a man named Bo Schaefer, who did this for you know close to two decades you know he ran down and, and dealt with the family and, and dealt with the situation and saw the rise in popularity of this phenomenon uh, so I hope I haven't given away too much and I hope I have piqued your interest enough to keep listening because you are not going to want to this one and I promise as always a unique view and a unique unique angle on this story because this is one of those that has been told many times and I'll include links on the show page uh, for some documentaries uh, you know for news reports of all this stuff so you can get you know the, what I would call the straight story but you're gonna get the behind the scenes story here because no one knows better than Bo Schaefer so Bo thank you so much for being on the show today I'm really looking forward to this one you know so you you wrote a great book about this, which I breezed through in about a day and a half called Colorado's Iceman, the story of the frozen dead guy. Uh, and in it, you go by the Iceman. I mean, is that still what you like to go by? Is it, is it Bo? Do you like Bo? Do you like Bo Schaefer? Do you like the Iceman? Do you like Bobo? What, what's, what's your preferred? I'm not really the Iceman anymore because I don't do the job anymore. Right. So, so it was kind of like an old, it was more of a title than anything, but I mean, it, it, <laughs> as you read in the book, you know, it, it, it came about yeah. for kind of an unusual way, and, and I kind of got stuck with it as the Iceman. And, but, you know, it, 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 it described just what I did. I carried ice around up to the guy. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great name. What I thought was funny is in the book, you talk about how you didn't even like that name at first because you kind of had it associated with a mob enforcer. And, you know, I, I'm, you know, putting people on ice is, you know, you put people on ice in a good way, but most people when they get put on ice, it's the bad way. So how did you, uh, what'd you think about that? 
And well, that, well, that was a bit of a concern, like I said in the book, that you know I had, I had run in with the Iceman. I've 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 spent a lot of time in upstate New York, and there's a lot of that. I were, actually worked for the uh, for the Polish mafia for a while. But you know, there's there's the Sicilians, there's the Italians, there's everybody up there in in, in upstate New York. And uh, I ran afoul of some guys one time, and they got this guy in, and he kind of like that. That was the word that the Iceman is coming for you. So right. I, I, I dodged that, but always had kind of a thing. The Iceman always made me look over my shoulder whenever I hear the word. And so when, when they started calling me the Iceman, I said, well, all right, as long as it's me and not somebody else, I can live with that. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, and, and so you, wait, you worked for the Polish mob? Oh, uh, yeah, I worked. Uh, I was in the vending business back in upstate New York, and I worked for a, a guy in a small town in upstate New York. He was Polish, and he was kind of like the head of the Polish families there. And people would come around and bring him things at Christmas time, and he would take care of people's legal troubles. Uh, I got in a little bit of a legal trouble, went to him, and it all went away. <laughs> <laughs> so he was like a fixer. He's like a legal fixer. Kind of like that. He was like he was like the godfather of the small town. It was you know like a, a town of about maybe ten thousand people, and he he ran a he ran a music business and a vending business. And I was I was his vending mechanic, so I wasn't really in the uh, in the bad side of things. I was just the guy that fixed his vending machines that he made a lot of money off of. Well, I mean it's it's still pretty cool. I mean it's funny. My stepdad had a band when I was a kid called Tom E. Gunn and the Ice Man. Uh, and there was some legal trouble because it was such a great name for a band, and then some other band yeah. stole it. So there was like a, a whole little thing going on there. I, and he would have liked to have an ice man of his own to go take care of, take care of those guys who ripped off his name. Uh, but you know, it, it's it sounds like I mean this Polish mafia thing. I didn't know about that, but you had quite a life before you even moved to Niederville, or at least before you started becoming the ice man. I mean, you, you had an omelet shop. Is that is that true? Uh, well, I worked. I worked at a crepe and omelet place in in San Diego for a while. I was a. I started out in my career as a as a gas jockey way back when I was in my teens, and then I I moved into cooking because I had a uh, my my parents' friends worked at the racetrack and ran a restaurant at the racetrack, and so they needed a cook, and I was a Eagle Scout and knew how to cook, so they hired me as a cook. And so I worked as a cook for a few years out in San Diego and down New Orleans and and a couple of places around the country. But then I decided I needed education more. So I went back and got the rest of my education and turned into something a little different and tried to run some businesses and start up a few different things and ended up being a planetary ecologist. Yeah, so that that's, I mean, that's the fun part. That's the ending part. But I mean, you. so according to, I was reading this someplace, you worked, did contract work for NASA and you were a vet surgical assistant at UC Davis. Are both of those true? Uh, yeah, I worked at, at UC Davis. I had an internship over in the vet school, and I was working on open-heart surgery on dogs. Holy and cow. Actually, at the time, it was funny. I was just talking to the – I just uh, just adopted a dog last week, and I was talking to the people about it. At that time, my, my official title was dog killer. Oh, my I, God. I killed dogs for a li- – I killed dogs for about six months. I killed dogs for a living. Every, oh. every, every week, I'd go over to the animal facility, and I'd get five dogs from the pound, and we take them, and we drain their blood. And then we saved their blood for the uh, sixth dog, which was the experimental dog. And we were doing studies on morphine and blood volume and things like that. We did basically open heart surgery on, on a dog, the same procedures you'd use on a human, except we weren't sterile and we, uh, we, we got rid of our patient in the end. Holy cow, that sounds awful. You were the Iceman for dogs. Yeah, kind of like that. I kind of took care of that. I've, oh, I've been around a lot of weird things like that in my, in my day, you know, life and death and 
and sometimes they pop up in the strangest, strangest places. Holy cow! And you even had a, uh, a a local cable show called Common Sense. Yeah, I've on on the local cable TV show for a couple of years. We ran a show called Common Sense, and it was uh, it was it was all right. It was a nice show. We had some very unusual topics. I, I I've also dabbled in politics a little bit. I've run for quite a few positions as a libertarian. So uh, a few years back, I was pretty well known in the political community too. So I'd invite people uh, invite on, on, onto my show, or sometimes we'd we'd throw like a Liberty Fest party. I've had the governor of Colorado at my uh, at my party before he was became governor way back when he was not that well known. Wow. And I think you ran, you ran for sheriff, right? And uh, you got like twenty percent of the vote or something? Yes, I ran for sheriff twice. Yeah. Uh, I ran for sheriff because I, I was about the only libertarian that could run for sheriff. <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> that had any kind of military or any kind of a, any kind of a background in law enforcement at all. Yeah. What well, was so? What's your background in law enforcement? Uh, not so much in law enforcement as is military. I was, I've, I've spent two years in the uh, in the uh, Rangers, and hmm. uh, I was an ROTC scholarship cadet in college, and uh, so I got, I got a lot of early training way back when. Wow. Okay. I mean, that makes that makes sense to me. Uh, so it's see what I what I like here is I want to paint this picture. Right. There's a couple. Of, we got to paint the canvas because this story is so <laughs> bizarre. Um, but you know, in some ways, you were like the perfect guy for a lot of different reasons. You know, you've had a lot of these crazy kind of jobs all over the place. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, you did. Uh, eco- uh, was it planted? Planetary ecology is that what your degrees was it? Yeah, but you mentioned the fact that I did some NASA work, and that yes. was when I was working at the Electron Microscope Suite in uh, CU Boulder. We were working on one of only six microscopes like it in the world. It was this huge electron microscope, and then there was several other smaller scopes around there that people would come in and use. And there was a problem on the shuttle way back when when they kept losing uh, the heating wires for some of their fuel tanks. And they had like three redundant systems and they go through two and a half of them by the time they get back and they didn't know why. So this guy was there studying the ends of these wires in our electron microscopes way up close and analyzing what was there. And we finally figured out it was a contamination from the welding. When they welded through the bulkheads, there was some insulation wrapped around the wire and they didn't bother to remove it. And when they welded it, it contaminated the weld. And, and that's the kind that's and, yeah, we did all kinds of things like that at that lab. There was a guy there studying dinosaur eggshells, and I mean, I, I I peered down deep inside some things. I got some pictures that she were. It's amazing the the microscopic world. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of fun Twilight Zone episodes and old comic books where you know the the world when you shrink things down to that level. I mean, it's almost as crazy and dangerous as our world. It's just microscopic. Oh yeah. Right? I mean, it's yeah, yeah. You know, and you wonder how these things get around. You know, the energy the tardigrades, these little tiny, tiny, tiny things that exist in your eyelashes and shit. You don't even mm-hmm. know it. <laughs> yeah, and tardigrades can live in space. They can live in uh, you know without oxygen. They can live in freezing yep. temperatures. I mean, they're like the unkillable thing. I mean, that should have been your nickname, man. You're the tardigrade, or at least maybe Bredo is. Maybe Bredo's the, the tardigrade. Uh, well, well, I tell you what, my kids used to call me was the everything man. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, I, at the time, I, I ran a construction company for a while, and then we got into more environmental stuff, and I kept trying to use my degrees, but <laughs> end up using my hands more than anything. 
Yeah, well, you definitely lowered some degrees for sure. Um, well, and it's, you know, so we have this, you know, we've got you with this kind of eclectic background, but in some ways you're perfectly suited with your advanced degree in ecology. Uh, we've got this, the other thing is this backdrop, right? Like most people don't talk about Nederland where this, I, I hope I'm saying that correctly, Nederland. Um, Actually, it's Nederland. Nederland. Okay, I apologize uh, to all the Nederlandarians out there. My apologies. Um, so Nederland <laughs> is in Colorado. It's kind of in rural Colorado. But in some ways, this is such a really cool environment as well because it's this, you know, kind of this... I don't want to say David Lynchian type place, but in some ways it is. I mean, you have this 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 mashup of like old school cowboys, loggers, miners. There were lots of mines there, silver, gold, tungsten, and then hippies came in. Uh, you you even have like a world class or had a world class recording studio. Like Elton John was there, um, some other famous people, Beach Boys. Oh yeah, Caribou Ranch. It's just a kind of this really cool eclectic town, uh, which I really like. And I think at one point um, you ran for sheriff, and you also had a friend who ran for coroner, who also did mixed music on the side as Dr. Reptile, right? So <laughs> this is, this right, is yeah. the strange little, like, this is the strange backdrop of this story. Have I missed any details, uh, or have I painted a pretty good picture? Um, that, that's pretty close, but there's definitely some, some stuff going on. I mean, there's a, the only carousel that I know of in Colorado, I think, and maybe one or two elsewhere, but the biggest carousel in Colorado is in Netherlands. The whole town got together and gave money to this guy, and he restored an old carousel, and it's now called the Carousel of Happiness. That's in Netherlands. And, and you've got the, the steam shovel, the largest existing working steam shovel. And a few years back, they used to give kids rides in the thing, but oh, they wow. kind of stopped that. But it, 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 they, it, it was helped build the Panama Canal. Then it was up there in the mountains, and it was rusting out in the middle of a swamp, and they come out and got it, restored it, and put it at the museum, and it's the largest working steam shovel in the, in the, in the country. So they got some weird stuff going on up there in Netherlands, definitely. Yeah, and that's what I love about it. I did a whole episode on carousels, the history of carousels. Uh, so I'd love to know. I'm actually going to do a little research and find out who made that carousel because there were a couple of um, um, big makers like Lou. Charles Louf is one of the big ones. So this is a perfect backdrop. So now we got the characters. We've already established you, uh, and we're going to get to your story, how you intersect the story in a second. But some of the other interesting characters, just in brief, are Bredo, uh, Morst, Morstol, is that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So Bredo Morstol, what's interesting about him, besides the fact that he's being cryogenically frozen by his grandson who no longer lives in the country, he never made it to Nederland. Uh, he didn't like the place uh, while alive. The closest I think he got was Estes Park, which coincidentally is the last place I took a vacation in 2019 before the pandemic <laughs> hit, uh, which is beautiful. Colorado's amazing. Rock, you know, National Rocky Mountain National yes, Park. Yes. Esther's, yeah, went up to the Stanley Hotel. Great place. If you guys are listening, check it out and then stop off at Needleland when you're done listening to this episode. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> It's funny. So, so he's so he's the guy. He's what you know is affectionately called the frozen dead guy. That's Bredo. Um, his grandson is uh, Trigvi Balja. Trigvi Balja. Trigvi Balja. You got to say it in a sing-song voice, really. Trigvi Balja. I love that. Uh, now he lived in. Now he actually did live in Nederland because it reminded him of Norway. And so he's so he's a character in and of himself. We're going to talk about talk about him in a second. And then his mother Odd, who is also that's Trigve's mother and Bredo's daughter. 
she's the, so she's involved in this as well. She's mostly a financial backer. You learn that she, you know her pension's kind of financing this whole deal. And in a you know in a sad turn of events, I believe she passed away this past January. Yes, I believe she did finally. Yeah, and I believe that she also wants to be cryogenically frozen. So I don't know if the new person they're going to have her shipped out here to freezer or how they're doing there. Um, but so these are the main characters. We're going to talk about them in detail in a second. But very in brief, Bredo. Uh, Apparently, Bredo had a heart attack in 1974 that laid the groundwork for him dying in 1989. Trigve uh, is very into cryogenically, the, you know, the, the ex- life extension through cryogenics, whether it's, you know, he was an ice bather, uh, you know, stuff like that. He wants to cryogenically preserve his grandfather to reanimate him in the future. Now, here's the part of the story that I kind of want a little detail on, because to me, this is the crux of the story. This is the thing that I've been thinking about for two or three days. So I want you to correct me if I'm wrong here, Bo. So Trigve, so um, Grandpa Bredo dies in Norway. From what I got from your book, it takes like two days to process a dead body. Then he gets right. shipped out to California at a place called Trans Time that uses liquid nitrogen. I believe it's in San Francisco. So four right. days have passed between the time he dies and the time he is preserved. Is that is that correct so far? Uh, an estimate, yeah. Somewhere between three and four days had to go by. Okay. So then, and then he gets he goes from there and somehow has him shipped to uh, Netherland and is. Basically, put up in a in a in a mausoleum esque what is a pseudo DIY cryogenic facility uh, in rural Netherlands. Is that right? Well, ba- well, back up a second. Back up a second. He got he got him preserved at Time Inc. and then he was stored at Time Inc. for a while. And me- meanwhile, Trigby looked around. He checked out civil defense places, caves, and different things in Colorado, trying to find a place that he could put his place and build it, and then bring his grandfather. And he finally found this piece of land in Netherlands and had a, a house kind of started on it and brought in an old metal shed and thought he was ready to be a cryonic facility. And then he had, then he had Grandpa Brito transferred there. Okay, got it. Okay. And that, so this was all on the up and up, technically. This was all legal? Um, that's the reason he was here in America. You can't do this shit in Europe. Got it. Okay. You can't have dead bodies on your property in Europe, Australia, a lot of places. They don't even allow you, but in the United States, you can do it. That's why he came here to do it. I don't think I realized you could do that. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, you see all these weird stories that pop up in the news cycle about, you know, the person had their mummified mother in their living room for three years and, you know, stuff like that. Oh, like Crestone, just down the road here in Crestone. You might have heard that. Some cult came up and had their leader mummified and they finally found her. But th- so, but that's not legal. Is I mean, that always results in some kind of, I mean, I guess an investigation um, into foul play, but. What I saw that they busted those people in Crestone with was abuse of a corpse. <laughs> huh. Oh, that's so bizarre. So, okay. yeah, it's not really illegal to keep the dead thing, but there is a laws about abuse of a corpse. So I don't know. Can you prove that they were abusing the corpse? I like to I like to be a fly on the wall in that court case when it comes up. <laughs> well, I will. You know, I I, I hate to do this. I, I do like to plug other episodes that I've done. I did this this episode called Undying Love uh, about a guy named Count von Kossel, who basically grave robbed uh, a crush that he had who died unexpectedly and then preserved her body for like 15 or 20 years and definitely abused the corpse. 
uh, which ew, is ew. which is one of the craziest <laughs> stories. Now this, you know, this is that's kind of tangential to this story because this one's a little on the up and up. Um, but but here's what I love about this. So so we've got Grandpa Bredo. He's here in uh, Netherland. He's in this this DIY cryogenic facility, and Trigve he builds this house. He builds it, you know, with uh, the way you explained it. There's no electricity. There's no plumbing. There's no heat. There's no toilet. There's a chemical toilet, but no, no, no plumbing. It's fireproof, bombproof, and earthquake-proof. Supposedly able to withstand an atomic blast, but somehow the shed gets destroyed by like 1995. What? <laughs> tell me what's going on here. Well, now there's a couple of different aspects of that. First of all, the house was supposed to be buried. Once upon a time, the people that helped him. That designed the house and got him the materials and showed him how to build it, called me and said, what the, what's up with this guy? <laughs> and, and and what he apparently never did was, it's kind of like, a, if you see the house, I think I had a picture of it in the book, it's kind of like, a, it's got a round roof. It was supposed to be buried. Okay, all right. And before it was buried, it was supposed to be preserved so that the concrete didn't crack. Well, he didn't do the preservation and he didn't do the burying. Therefore, it ain't quite as earthquake and, and, and other proof as that. And it was the wind that destroyed the the, uh, the metal shed that was over there. The wind picked up a piece of the metal shed the size of the hood of a car and carried it up on top of a 10-foot cliff. Wow. Okay. That's what destroyed and the shed. You know, it just, it, his position out there, he got a lot of wind. And so the house was great. It was all right if it would have been done the way it was supposed to. But like I said, I think in the book, it's earthquake-proof, fireproof, blah, 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 proof, but it ain't too waterproof. <laughs> and the water yeah. is, is getting yeah. in there, and it's cracking it, and it's starting to, t- to deteriorate the place. The water getting in and freezing and thawing and freezing yep. and thawing. Yep, yeah, that's a very destructive force. Yep, and especially, I, I mean, I was a contractor for many years, and that's always been a rule of thumb. If a house, if nobody's living in a house, it always deteriorates faster. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, it definitely wasn't trig vape proof. I think we can we can all agree on that. Um, so so while he's there, so we he has it, and the idea is to now this isn't perfect cryogenic preservation. This is you know it's negative sixty degrees by using dry ice. Uh, it's not liquid nitrogen, which is like negative two hundred and some degrees, I believe. One hundred and eighty, actually. One hundred and eighty, I think. Somewhere. Okay, like that. yeah, yeah, that makes yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And that, so that's that's like three times, right? So that's about three times the cold, I guess. Well, I we, I used to, I used to get a lot of crap about that, about the fact, you know, you're keeping them on dry ice and blah blah blah. But if you think about what they're doing with it, how they actually expect to deal with this, it's all about nanotechnology. They expect to, at some time in the future, be able to have gray goo nanobots that they pour into the thing and it would go back and it would rebuild the entire body. And now these, these objectivists, of course, they, they think that the soul is tied up with the body. Uh, when the body deteriorates, the soul goes away. You put the body back together, the soul comes back in. And uh, as, as I just found out the other day, you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. Well, that's an interesting way to think about it. And so, yeah, your body is just a thing that the soul inhabits now and again. And, and you know, and I, and I like to say to him, well, okay, so if Brito was dead all this time, before we, we, we reanimate him and get him back, what's he doing in between? What's he sitting in a garage in Buffalo or something? Where the hell is he? Right, yeah. Well, well, here's my question with this, right? Because this, the nanobot, I never really understood the reanimation part. And that's why I wanted to stress that four days because he's been dead, right? So the way I understand cryogenic right, right. preservation, if you were to, you know, put someone into suspended suspended animation before death, 
Um, you know, or there, there's lots like of Walt Disney. Yeah, sort of. I, I, Walt Disney. Walt Disney was supposedly preserved before he died. Yeah, I think I think that that might be apocryphal. I don't know if there's. I don't know the evidence on that because I've heard both sides that it didn't really happen and that it did happen. Um, but but the idea, you're right. The idea. Well, is look correct. at the guy. He had fantastic imagination and a whole shitload of money. What do you think he did? <laughs> I mean, you can't argue with that for sure. Um, but you know, this the idea of being able to reanimate, right? Like to find out what's wrong with him and then cure it and bring him back. He's been dead for four days. And I think even in the book, you admit that he's thawed out a few times since, you know, since... No, he never thawed out. He got warm, but as far as I know, he never thawed out. Okay, okay. Well, that's that's important. He cracked the box one time and there was frost on there, but he was still froze, but he he got warmer than we liked. Okay, (laughs) all right, fair enough. Um, But, you know, he he died of old age. I mean, there's no cure for old age, right? I mean, he died of a heart attack, whatever. I mean, you can't really cure that. And he was dead. I could understand the argument. You know, there's also some very interesting research that there's a point in your brain that can, if you stimulate it in mammals, I think they did this in chimpanzees, uh, you can induce torpor, which is basically hibernation for mammals and you could right. if you stim, st, you know stimulated that area if you simulated torpor you're able to put them into suspended animation and then freeze them there's also great research on um hypothermia you know so there is some benefit to being in cold water there's a woman who was she fell into a like a river and ended up surviving because of hypothermia uh which is it, well you know they successfully they've successfully reanimated frozen things you know you know that uh, well, yes, under certain con- conditions. I mean, when you say things, that's difficult because some some creatures do have an anti. Uh, I'm saying I'm saying turtles, turtles and frogs. They've done it on. Yeah, well, they have an anti-freeze in their blood. Some of them, some animals do. Well, they, they, these are ones that normally will hibernate and and get exposed to freezing temperatures and still get away with it. Because the the main problem is you form spears in the blood and it it, it lyses the cells and yeah. And you lose everything. That's why your steak turns to mush when you pull it out of the freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And some animals actually have developed, um, uh, you know, a chemical in their blood that's actually acts as an antifreeze, so it keeps it in the suspended animation. I mean, the point I'm trying to make is, yeah. And years ago, well, years ago, the last the last time I'd heard about it, they had these turtles that very frozen, kept them for like six months frozen. Thawed them out, and as far as they could tell, they were normal. Right. The key to that story is they were alive before they were frozen. Uh, to a certain extent, yes. The other key is that they're small and are able to be flash frozen. Mm-hmm. Right. If you can't flash freeze the thing, that's when you have problems. And that's why a human being is so big, it's very difficult to flash freeze a human being. Right, yeah. Next to impossible. Well, the, their technique at Time Inc., what they did is they put them in a, in actually in an in a ice bath for quite some time until they lower the core, the body core temperature down, and then they dump in a bunch of dry ice right. and bring it over to the freezing point real fast, and then they store them in liquid nitrogen. Right. Now that, I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the best techniques that we have. But, you know, again, my point is that he was dead. Um, so to me, when I hear all this yeah, stuff, if you've like, got nanobots, if you've got nanobots that can rebuild him, it don't matter. You could rebuild an Egyptian mummy as long as you got all the parts. The nanobots know what part goes to where. Just add water and nanobots, and they should be able to rebuild it. Yeah, but that sounds. I mean, to me, that sounds like magic, right? I mean, there's this thing that I heard about this. This well, the whole the whole thing is like you know, any sufficiently advanced technology always appears to be magic. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, so so from what we from what we know, the this was always always the sticking point to me is the 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 idea of reanimation once dead. Um, 
And so, so, this, so you've answered the question. So the belief was that this, these nanobots were going to come and rebuild the body uh, just from, from the dead tissue. That was the idea? Right. Well, you read what Brito had to say about that when we had the psychics in, right? Well, he, he said that he didn't want this body, which that makes a lot of sense to me, right. too. Why would he want that decrepit old body back again? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess if you got nanobots, I mean, if we're, if, we're, if we're talking about science fiction, I mean, you could make any body you want, you know? I mean... Well, you know, that, that's another step further. I mean, first step is to rebuild it the way it was. If you've got, a, you know, the DNA blueprint, you could technically rebuild it the way it was. But you always come up with it. Is it going to be a newborn thing or is it a thing that's already 70, 90 years old? Yeah. I mean that that's where the that's where the fantasy portion comes in a little bit. Well, and I think at least we can all agree that that is probably way into the future, right? I mean, we could say it's more than 10, 20, 30, 40 years into the future. I mean, we're working with nanobots, but Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a good century away, I think. Okay, so so let's say a century, right? So I don't understand the long-term goal, right? Like you kind of got brought in in the 90s. Um, you did it for almost 20 years, and then someone else picked up. So, so I mean, is the goal to just have people deliver dry ice for a century? And what happens when when Trigve dies? I mean, then this whole what what happens then? I mean, does he have any? Do you ever get a sense of any long term goals? Well, that was always a complaint about some of the more, um, if you could, if you pardon the term, serious cryogenicist about things is the fact that Trigve didn't set this up right. Normally, you set it up with a trust fund that, that is eternal and will take care of things, and you don't depend on, on you know, the goodwill of somebody living two doors down to take care of it. Right, right. That makes sense. Okay. And, and so he never set it up properly. I mean, the place is actually, he actually has a place where he could put a, a, a big doer and store liquid nitrogen on the place, but it's on the total opposite side of the building from where he has the cryogenic facility. So you got to pipe it over there. I mean, Trigby had a lot of good ideas, but most of them he never really stopped to think through. I mean, the guy, he writes, he has a manifesto that's an inch thick, and you could maybe glean a page, a page and a half of some worthwhile information out of it. To me, I mean, to me, he is the most interesting story in this story within a story. Like people, you know, people flock to that there's a frozen guy and all this stuff. But to me, he is the interesting part of this. Because let's let's jump back to the story really quickly, because one of the fascinating parts to this is that in 1994, you know, he's got this... You know, he's, he's already got Bredo on ice. He's already got, been, been freezing his grandpa for a couple years. He is, uh, you know, as I mentioned, he's really into this idea of life extension through ice baths and cryogenically, you know, preserving your body, both alive and dead. So he breaks a world record in 1994. Now, this comes at a time when he is he is an illegal alien in the United States, from what I understand, and he is purposefully yeah. harassing INS. I mean, he's taunting them, almost like Jack the Ripper-esque, like, come take me. He, he, he breaks a world record in 1994, and the attention from breaking that world record is essentially what his, is his undoing, right? This is what gets him deported no, back to no, Norway? No, not really, not really. What was his undoing was the fact that the INS got sick and tired of, of him not just calling them, but then calling the newspapers afterwards and say, oh, I called the INS and they did not come and get me. <laughs> they got pissed at him for basically for, for being pissed at them. And so they said, that's enough of this shit. And they went up there one night, got him, threw him in a car, took him down, threw him on an airplane, and that was it. <laughs> the whole thing that he wanted is he wanted his day in court. I mean, Trigby was a libertarian. 
and and he believed in free and open borders. And so that's why he stayed around and why he kept taunting the INS and everybody. He wanted his day in court to be able to bring out the fact that we should have free and open borders. And and they they put up with him for so long until he just got so obnoxious by calling the you know even the newspapers started to ask why aren't you picking this guy up <laughs> and they finally they finally capitulated and gave in and picked him up and he disappeared and he got no day in court he got nothing he just went away well he's not an American citizen right like you could make the argument that if he was an American citizen he deserves his day in court um, but he's not even right, an American right. citizen he's coming nope, here and like. Nope. I, I don't know. I, I was amazed by this as well. This did feel very Jack the Ripper esque, uh, minus the killing. Uh, but he, so, well, you see, you got to understand what Trigby wanted out of all this. You know, it wasn't so much the cryonics as Trigby is—he's a publicity hound. That he makes sense. wanted the publicity for it. He wanted people to know what he was doing, and he wants to, I mean, that's why he uh, does all kinds of weird things to get noticed mm-hmm. by people. I mean, he's got this, this incredible meta website that's just an, it's amazingly complex and full of crap. Yep. But, you know, it's him. He just, he, he'll do anything for the, for the notoriety, for the, uh, for the, the press. And, and that's why, he, that's why he, he brought the grandfather and made a big thing of it. And initially, that's why he supported the frozen dead guy days. Right, right. That's the celebration in, uh, kind of based on the, uh, the idea that there's a guy frozen up there. It's like these like summer days. Or no, it's in March, right? So it's like a festival in town, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, it started because everybody up in Netherlands, it's up in the mountains. So they have a pretty rough winter sometimes. So come springtime, they get a lot of cabin fever. And they used to have spring fling and this and that, and they couldn't know what to do. So one day the, uh, the uh, community people sat around and said, well, how about if we have a frozen dead guy thing? Because they got this thing about this dead chicken out in Fruita. Why can't we have about a dead guy? And so, and so they thought, let's have our spring fling. Let's have this. And the very first year, everybody was, would, had no idea what would happen. No idea if it would work, if it would, if it would be a, a bomb or if it would be a success or whatever. And in the end, it was such a success that it, it, you know, it kicked off another 15 years. Well, the, the Frozen Dead Guy days definitely represent a story in and of themselves. But I want to jump back to our current story because I, I want to finish this to give people really the, all the details that, that are really make this so compelling. So, you know, we've got... We've got Trigve. He's being deported. You know, he's taunted the INS. Uh, they finally caught up with him. He's out of here. They get he's gone. But his mother, Odd, is still here, uh, and so you know she's kind of distraught from from what I understand, and and she's she's not sure what to do. And while being, I think maybe there's a reporter, she's giving an interview, and so she mentions something about who is going to take care of the bodies. And as soon as she says bodies, all of a sudden there is a reckoning. People are like, what, what, who, what, what bodies? What's going on? So then, you know, the police get involved, reporters get involved, and it's just, you know, it's it's an absolute circus. And, you know, the town kind of freaks out in some ways. And, you know, as you mentioned, I, I didn't know it was it was legal to keep a body above ground. Um, you know, that that's news to me. But nonetheless, the town freaks out and they immediately feel the need to take care of the situation. And they pass. Uh, let me look here. It is Section 7-34 of the Municipal Code titled Keeping of Bodies. And this outlaws the keeping of the whole or in part of a person, body, or carcass of a human being or animal 
or other biological species which is not alive upon any property. The dumbass has outlawed frozen turkeys. <laughs> that was part of it, right? I mean, that's anything. I mean, frozen chicken, turkeys. I mean, it's in part, a whole or in part. If you'd see a video of the mayor at the time, Mayor Dinkums or whatever his name was, that guy, was he was just absolutely livid that such a thing existed. That's that anybody would even consider having a dead body on their property. It just offended him to no end. And he's the, he was the driving force behind everything that went. And they just rammed through that bill without thinking of the consequences. I mean, no one has tried to, like, repeal that or anything? Um, there's no reason for it. They're, you know, grandfather, as we were always fond of saying on the tours, grandfather was grandfathered in. You know, they couldn't get rid of him. And the only thing is, is that we always thought if Trigvi and Out ever wanted to join him there, then they'd probably have to get the, the ordinance changed. But, you know, the way things are running, that would be a snap. I mean, everybody loves the festival and loves this and that. I don't think they'd have any trouble dumping that ordinance if they really wanted to. <laughs> right. I'm, I mean, I can't imagine that there's a lot of raids on people's freezers. So I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> I right, think right, everyone's right. probably all right. It's unenforceable. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so so this happened. So this kind of, so this, you know, obviously there's a big hubbub in town. You got this, you know, you got a guy up there who needs to be taken care of because this dry, dry ice, you know, only lasts for so long. So you need to take care of him. Odd is kind of, you know, she's left to to deal with this whole situation and i i so pre-bo you know pre-bo they hired a guy in 1994 i guess um do you know anything about, so this was the first guy who become the first ice man they need a guy delivering dry ice to keep uh you know grandpa cold do you remember who that was yeah well well here's here's how how it all started they deported Trigby, and the reporters came up to interview out and says, you know, what do you think? Your grand, your grandson, your son got deported and this and that. And they, oh, well, you know, it's not good, but I don't know who's going to take care of the bodies in the shed now. And that was, was what freaked everybody out when they had no idea what the hell she was talking about, bodies in the shed. And, of course, so then everything just kind of exploded from there. And, and what happened is that Al really couldn't deal with things. And they got, they got the, a friend by the name of Walter, Walter Godicky. And he was, he was Trigby's friend at the time. And so they got him to do the ice run. And, and they were paying him to do the ice run, not a whole lot, but enough. But what happened is that Trigby didn't send the money for a while, ended up, ended up owing Walter quite a bit of money, like a thousand or more, one or two thousand dollars, quite a bit of money. And Walter was just about to say, I ain't doing it no more because you pay me my money. Mm -hmm. And so what happened uh, in the book, it goes into more detail about the radio uh, thing and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but the idea was, is that we transfer over to a new outfit that you can start to pay right away. And then over a period of time, you can pay off your debt okay, right. to your friend. Yeah. Right. And then that way you can get somebody that, that, you know, that you're not owing money to that ain't going to do it for you no more. You get a new outfit. And as long as you keep up with them, they'll take care of things and you can eventually pay off your friend. And that's what he did. Got it. OK. And that's kind of where you come in. And even, you know, so tell me how because, you know, in the book, you talk about how you were kind of a tech geek from the beginning. And so you kind of found this job, you know, essentially in the first online classifieds, but on a very specific website that I think was was for futurists and transhumanists. Right. Is that is that right? Right. 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 The futurist. Um, there are a bunch of people that I was I was studying for a while. And that's where I found the uh, post from uh, from Trigby. And I had recognized his name, and I'd seen it in the local newspapers. 
And like you say, it was, you know, one of the very, one of the beginnings of the internet when you could actually send a message to somebody in another country for free. Right. And just by typing it out in your computer, it was so cool. And so I sent a message to him and say, Hey, I saw you, you're on this list with me and I saw you used to be around here. And so that's, that's how he first initiated contact. And he got back in touch with me and said, basically want to know if I need, if I wanted a job. <laughs> and, and as you pointed out, I mean, there are, and at the time I said to myself and, and my, my people working for me, I says, who the hell else in this County could do something like that? Who, who has the wherewithal, but the, the time and the, and the energy to do it and is not involved in other things that they could actually take this on. And this was my, you know, fledgling company. And here we had a, an international client who was willing to send us money every month. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a great deal. It was a great deal. I'd, I'd do a lot for that, including putting ice on a dead body. Now, did that actually, you know, bear fruit, so to speak? I mean, did this, did all the things that the, the calculations you put into place to kind of see if this would, you know, work out for your company later on, did that actually happen? Did you gain the notoriety and the prestige you wanted? We never made money on the deal whatsoever. I mean, if you consider, you know, wear and tear on the equipment and what that kind of stuff costs, we might, we might not even have broke even. But you cannot, you cannot buy the kind of publicity that we got out of mm-hmm. it. I mean, even, even, to, uh, for, uh, even to this day, it's still uh, uh, one time I picked up a hitchhiker up in northern Colorado and he was gone to Netherlands. He lived there. And I says, oh, oh, I bet you know who I am. He says, I've never seen you before in my life. And I said, well, I'll bet you $5 you know who I am. And he said, and he took the bet, and I told him, oh, I've been to the, I've been to the festival, and I know who you yeah, are, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so it's a kind of a thing, you know, you wouldn't know me to look at me, but when you find out who I am, you end up knowing me. It's the Iceman. So, so this is how the Iceman is formed, is, you know, he hires you to basically deliver, I think it's like 1,500 pounds of dry ice every month to put on his cryogenically frozen grandfather, right? Well, it started out that he wanted somebody to go every week. Oh, wow. Okay. And every two weeks. And because Walter only had a little Volkswagen, he couldn't carry much ice at one time. So he was doing it every week. We came along, we started to do it every two or three weeks because we had a larger vehicle. And after about a year or two into it, we talked with Trigby. He said, listen, Trigby, you know, the trip is what's expensive. If we can cut, you know, right now you're doing 14, 15 trips a year. If you can cut it down to 12 trips a year, it's a lot cheaper for you and everything will still be fine. So that's when we went from like eight, 900 pounds of ice every two, every three weeks to 1,500 pounds of ice once a month. And then everything worked out because he could send the money once a month, not every three or four weeks which was a pain in the butt to figure, figure out, but he'd send the money once a month and once a month we'd go on the ice run and we'd check on it. And what we ended up doing was a lot of repairs, a lot of inspections, a lot of taking care of the place, not just putting dry ice on it. As a matter of fact, sometime I'd bitch to Trigby about that. So Trigby, you know, you're paying us to put dry ice on the body and that's it. And we're doing all this other stuff that we ain't getting paid for. So don't give me a hard time when I want to raise the price of the ice on you. Right. I mean, and so did that pay, I mean, did you get other jobs because you had this job? I mean, I know you got lots of, you got a lot of perks in town. You know, I mean, you were able to kind of sneak into the, you talk about in the book, you're able to sneak into the mechanics, get your car fixed, you know, doctor, dentist, you know, (laughs) you kind of were able to, you know, you kind of, kind of big man about town, which is, which is a great life to have nonetheless. But what about financially and, and for your business? Did it work out for that? 
Well, like I say, we never made any money off it. And, and when you consider some other details, we might have lost a little money on it. I mean, I had my truck break down a couple times up there. I had to call AAA. And, you know, way up in Netterville, way up in the boonies like that, it ain't easy to get AAA up there. Right. And, uh, but, you know, all in all, and I could say we probably at least broke even, but the publicity that we got was, was, was I mean, you couldn't buy that kind of publicity. And for our company, it worked out somewhat, mostly for me as the Iceman. I would give speeches, and I wrote the book and things like that. But the company, you know, got a little bit of notoriety out of it. And, I mean, it, it looks good on your resume. I had some guys working for me that one time came back to me years later, and he said, you know, I went to go apply for this job, and it was down to me and this other guy. And I had on there that I was an ice guy. That's what I called these guys that have come help me for a few years, ice guys. And he said, I had it down there on my resume that I was, and the, and, the, and the interviewer thought that was fascinating, and I got the job because it was a nice guy. Wow. So so people benefited, so, but it wasn't like the company went, you know, Forbes 500. Right. No, no, but it, did, it didn't make us much money because Trigby is tighter than a frog's butt, and that's watertight. <laughs> and, I mean, he, he we fought with him tooth and nail to send money and send more money for this. They'd up... I finally ended up just giving him a flat rate because they kept changing the ice, the ice, the amount of ice on us, the amount of money we paid for the ice. And so in the end, I ended up giving him a flat rate and doing some negotiation with the ice people to give me a better deal on it. And that's how we ended up at least at least breaking even and making a little bit of money on each run. Yeah, you talk about the the, the famous dry ice wars in the book, which is kind of interesting. Um, but I imagine you know Trigve seems like kind of a wacko. Uh, I want to talk about it because, you know, we're, we kind of have this, you know, the basic story is there. Um, you know, there's a guy up there, you're delivering dry ice to keep him at negative 60 degrees. But I imagine dealing with Trigve must must have been, I, I mean, from an outsider, extremely entertaining, but for you, very frustrating. I, I think in the book, I, I read this or saw this somewhere that, you know, in the 80s, he even he joked about hijacking a plane <laughs> to to like the um to, to the to the airlines and ended up you know uh, in jail uh, again again that was his libertarianism coming out he didn't think you should suffer for telling a joke about an airplane <laughs> now this was before nine eleven I want to point out right oh yeah definitely because otherwise <laughs> he would be he'd still be in, in Gitmo yeah um uh, so in, there was another another funny story where he uh, I guess they were trying to put like a, a power line close to his property. Oh yeah. They moved <laughs> they moved the flags over. They built the the power no, line. No, he moved the flags he over. Moved he them. moved the flags over on them so that they'd build the pedestal on his property instead of on the right of way. <laughs> right. And then wanted to charge them for putting it on their property. Yeah, yes, exactly. And then, then of course, you know, the power company comes along and says, nah, we ain't gonna pay you. And as a matter of fact, we'll cut your power off. That's amazing. Um, and he was also, I think he started the Polar Bear Club in town. Uh, he was, he was yep. into, he, he held a world record of ice bathing for a long time. I mean, he seems like kind of a nut. I, I, I guess I don't really understand the approach that he took with you and with everyone else. You know, this idea of really being stingy um, while trying to do something from so far away that was so important to him. Because you say this in a couple of other interviews, but that... He stressed to you on day one that if you ever failed to deliver this ice, you were killing his grandfather, despite the fact his grandfather had been dead for years and was dead for four days before he was frozen. Uh, but he, this, So this meant a lot to him, at least philosophically. And if you live in that paradigm, this was that important. It seems to me that he would have been um, 
a little more understanding of that and, you know, and, and cut you guys some slack and at least tried to get the, to make sure, keep you guys happy is what I'm saying, to ensure that this was, this was delivered. Well, what I always, what I've always said about him is he's a wacko, but he's the most sincere wacko you'll ever meet. I mean, he's very sincere about his, about his beliefs in things, even though they're whack, he's very sincere about them and believes in them. And I mean, think about this. This is a, well, I don't know how, 40, 50 year old. He lives with his mother. Right, 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 right. And never got married, never, you know, so you can kind of get an idea of what personality he has. And they live very frugally over there. And there's no two ways about it. I mean, they're very frugal people. And that's what, I mean, I, I, from my point of view, he was kind of stingy and, and was losing a buck because he wouldn't pay a penny. But from his point of view, he was trying to do things as cheaply as possible. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense. I mean, you know, it's funny. I wonder what will happen now, given the current situation and the fact that his, you know, the I imagine the pensions dried up since January. Um, I am very curious what, like, what is going, you know, what will happen in the future. Um, but, you know, part of, you know, what, what always impressed me is how diligently you performed your duties to the point where, you know, a shed was destroyed uh, by the winds we mentioned earlier. And you had like a kind of a grassroots effort with a local radio station to have a new shed donated. Um, and, and as you mentioned, which led to this this festival that he makes money with the tours that go on. Uh, it just it's such a strange relationship that you must have had with him through all of this. Well, you see, that's why the, the whole thing is, like I say, he thought he was paying me to put ice in his grandfather. And I felt that he was paying me to run the facility, to make it. I'm the one that came up. We sat around one day with a bunch of beers and joints and came up with the icicle, the International Cryonics Institute and the Center for Life Extension. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Which you were the, uh, the, the foremost authority on DIY cryonic, cryogenics, I believe you have on right, your... Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, I was doing studies on crystals, on ice formations in the box. Um, lots of different things because, I mean, I was trying to make it legitimate, mm -hmm. trying to make it so that everybody wouldn't just laugh at you because you got a dead body in a box. No, no, we're a, we're a legitimate institute. We're studying home, you know, backyard cryonics. We're studying crystal formations. We're studying, you know, how to get along uh, with no power and things like that. You know, there was a lot of information that could have come out of that institute if we'd have kept it up. Now, so I guess, you know, I mean, it's impressive, but like, where did that come from? Because it sounds like Trigve was kind of, you know, not only stingy, but kind of sticking it to you on every aspect. And yet you not only dropped the ice in, you put this thing together, um, you, you had the, the shed built, you, you had the institution, you tried to legitimize it. Um, was that because you enjoyed doing the job? I mean, was it must have been partly that or was it just a, a sense of duty? Well, kind of both. I mean, that's the way I do it. My mom instilled upon me since I was like old enough to understand if any job is worth doing, it's worth doing right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's just the work philosophy I have. I mean, I'm here to take care of things and to make this as, as good as it can be for my client. And, and the other part of it was, you know, as you get into it that, well, hey, this is cool having a festival. Uh, the guys that work for me love to go up and I, I gave tours for like 10 years up there. And the guys who worked for me loved to go up during the festival and hang out and, and I'd meet people on the street. So, I mean, there was, there was a lot of fun to be had and a lot of good times to be had. But I was also, I mean, the part of me that insists that, you know, perfection, is that good enough? 
for you or not? Mm-hmm. That's, right. That's what my guys used to say to me. They say, "There it is. It's perfect. Is that good enough for you?" <laughs> I mean, I think you were paying the mortgage on the place too for a while, which is, I mean, that's that's full service. Yeah, 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 yeah. He would send me money over, and, and that was funny because those people would bend over backwards for him because they did absolutely did not want to get that house back and that property back whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been and, amazing. You know, I'd come in late with the money, and it wouldn't be all there and everything. That's fine. That's fine. Pay the rest next month. No problem. No problem. Wow. That's, I mean, it's so banana. I mean, it's it's crazy to me because I don't think that Trigve actually understands how precarious his situation is. I mean, to me, that's what kind of intrigues me about him, right? Like, I mean, if he lost a property, like he loses his grandfather, what is he going to do? He's in Norway. Is, is, you know, no one's here, right? Um I, if it got tied up in the American courts, what's he going to do? You know, there, there's so many, if, if he upset you and you stop delivering ice, what's he going to do? Right. Like I just always felt like he was overplaying his hand and somehow beating the house. That's how this whole story feels to me. Well, he's got legal, he's got a legal representative here. Cause that's when I, when we had our little falling out and he fired me slash I quit. Um, I had to go deal with his lawyer, who's a real nice guy, and he thinks Trigby's an asshole too. But he, you know, as a lawyer, he's got to deal with that. Yeah. Well, that's that's an interesting postscript here. So you, I think, I think in the book you say 18 years you were delivering ice until about what 2014 was it? Something like that. Yeah, it's been about about six seven years. Yep. So what exactly happened? I mean, because you were, you know, you were the ice man. I mean, you're doing all this stuff. I mean, did it just did things come to a head? Were you just sick of dealing with them, or what happened? Well, it was, it was a specific incident. What, what happened is that all of a sudden, the ice company jacked up the price like 100 bucks, And so I said, well, all right, we'll pay it, but what the hell's with this? And they said, well, we don't know. We're, we're, we're finding out. So I went back, and I, and I emailed Trigby, and I said, you know, um, extra 100 bucks here. I think you need to cover this. It's not coming out of our pocket. Trigby says, well, what's, what's it for, you know, and I'm not going to pay it unless they find out what it's for. And I said, all right, all right, stand by. I'll, I'll contact them and find out what the hell is going on. So it took me a couple of days to find out that what it was, it was just a one-time surcharge. It wasn't going to happen again, and that was the best explanation they could give me. Right. And so I, I sent a message to Trigby, and I got nothing back. And so the next ice run comes, and there is no extra money. And so I sent another message to Trigby after I did the ice run. It says, Trigby, you need to send the extra money for that, for that one ice run because it's just the one deal, you know, and it, it, it needs to come from your pocket, not ours. And still didn't hear from him. And so the, next, the, so the next ice run comes up, and I said, Trigby, if you don't send that extra money, I ain't doing the ice run no more. And the day of the ice run came, and, of course, I did the ice run. I went and did it, and, you know, with, our own, with, with the money that he did send and our own money to make up the difference. And so we did the ice run and took it. And it was like maybe two days later that to backtrack, what had happened is after I sent him the first said that said that these guys had an extra money, I didn't know what it was for. And he sent me a thing saying, find out about it. He left. He left Oslo and he went out into the fjords and he stayed out there for two friggin' months. Wow. Really? And he's got, and he he has no, no internet, no nothing out there. He had made arrangements for the bank to go ahead and send the money the next month. So, you know, it was all on automatics, and he never received any of my emails until the very end, like the day after the, 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 the ice run I said I wouldn't do, and he freaked out seeing my email saying that I wouldn't do the ice run. And he called up the mayor, he called up the police chief, he called up his lawyer, he called up everybody 
saying, you got to get ice on my grandfather before he melts and he'll die and all this good stuff. Wow. And so when I finally heard, I said, I finally sent him a text and trigger me, trigger me, calm the hell down. You know, it, it's all right. It's taken care of. Everything's fine. But then he and I got in an argument about that hundred dollars and he just refused to pay that stuff. And I finally said, all right, I'm t- I've, I've been arguing you our entire relationship has been an argument with you one after another. I'm tired of it. Find somebody else. And, and actually, I, I forget whether I said find somebody else or he said, I'm going to find somebody else. I forget who said it first. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was. But, but both of us were ready not to deal with each other for a while. And so and after working for him for 18 years, faithfully taking care of things and trying to make it legitimate and all this stuff, he would not give me that hundred dollars until I turned over the keys to his lawyer. That's unbelievable. I mean, th- that's to me, that's that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's that amazing part, because there's no guarantee you're going to find anybody else. And you were doing everything. Um, I, I mean, on the website, I think you still the website that you have is, is still up and it's got an entry. I think the last entry is from 2012. So that must have been when the it says there's a labor dispute about hiring scabs or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, but I'm assuming this wasn't a union job. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, uh, so from so from 20. Well, see, there's even a story about that. Um, I bought the frozen dead guy um, uh, website right. from a guy. OK. Way back in the beginning, when they when they started it up, this guy thought he'd buy it and said, "I'm going to make money off this," and he tried to sell it to the uh, to the Chamber of Commerce, and they didn't want it. And he tried to sell it to Trigby, and he didn't want it. So he finally came to me and he says, "I ain't going to give it to any one of them people, but I'll give it to you." Oh wow! And you've been sitting on it. <laughs> and, and so he gave it. That's why I've got the, the the frozen dead guy website. Wow! And it's still up. I mean, it hasn't been updated in almost a decade, but it's uh, right, right, <laughs> it's right. still there. It's got all the information. Well, there's a possibility now. I'll let you know first. There's a possibility they were talking about having the festival again next March, but they were also about talking about having something maybe this end of this summer or this fall. I see. Okay. And and I got in touch with them, and I says, you know, if you're gonna this is this is uh, somebody bought the name. And, and there actually is a story about that one, too. But um, they, they bought some new lady bought the name. She wants to refurbish it a little bit. And I contacted her and says, you know, if you want to do something nostalgia wise or something about the history of it, let me know. Maybe we can do something. And that was I think in 2011, I was reading someone bought the Frozen Dead Guy Days, which is the name of the festival. Yeah, that was Amanda. OK. And she Amanda brought the bought the festival. And she bought it from the Chamber of Commerce because Trigve never had any rights right. to it at all. It was a it was a city thing, right, right. so so she bought it, and now so that's been that's almost a decade of her owning, kind of independent, just being independently owned. Right, right, and now she's given it. Now she sold it to someone else now because Amanda pretty much just got burned out on it. I mean, she's she was around when it was still the Chamber of Commerce, and then she thought she could make a run of it if she bought the thing. And found out that it's a lot more work than you think. Yeah, it seems like it seems like a ton of work. I mean, you know, you firsthand. I mean, you she didn't even have to deal with Trigve. I mean, she was just dealing with just dealing with the running a festival. So in closing, I mean, one of the things, you know, just as, you know, you did this for so long, I mean, and I'm sure you know the people who are doing it now, I think it went from one, like a two-person team, and now it's done by, I think, Brad Wickman, I think, is doing it now. He's been doing it for past six years or so. There's a guy that lives up there. He lives up there and does it, so it's a lot easier for them to do it. I've never lived up there. I've, oh. I've always lived a long ways away. Oh, interesting. Okay, so he lives he lives on the property. Well, not on the property. He just lives in Netherlands. So that, that I mean, yeah, so he goes down to Boulder, you know, so once or twice a week at least, 
and it's a lot easier for him to bring a little bit of ice up each time. Oh, well, where were you doing out of before? Uh, I live in Longmont, which is about an hour's drive from Netherlands. Oh, I didn't realize that at all. So you lived an hour from... Yeah, a lot of people don't. A lot of people think I live in Netherlands. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. I had, yeah, I had no idea. I thought you were doing the ice run. So that makes it even that much more annoying when he would be d- difficult. Well... At the time, I'd have to go from where I am in Longmont down to Denver, which is like 25, 30 miles. Then from Denver up to Boulder and Nederland, which is another 30 miles or so. And then from Nederland back down to my house. So I would do all close to 100 miles for every trip. Holy cow. That's that. I mean, that's pretty nuts. I didn't realize that at all. I wish I would have asked that earlier on because that would have maybe framed some of my some of my <laughs> my perspective on this. So how do you see this, you know, just in closing, how do you see this going on into the future? Do you think Trukve can can pull this off for another 20, 30 years? Or what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think it's all going to boil down to money. Like you pointed out, his, you know, the pension money is gone. Although Trigby supposedly is running a spa of some kind and making some kind of money over there. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm not privy to the information anymore of what really is going on, but he could keep it running for as long as he wanted to. But as we've also discussed here in this last hour, you know, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to keep this old decrepit body on ice for what reason? I mean, even the guy who's supposed to get back into it don't want it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the the source of of Bredo's desire to be in his old body is a little dubious, but uh, but I think it's probably correct. Uh, why would he want that old body? And he was never into it. You know, he was never into the cryonics at all. I mean, I don't think he even knew about the cryonics. It was all after he died that Trigby. I mean, Trigby got into it and had him done. And, of course, you saw the little thing about he put his pillows in the shape of a T, and that's what Trigby thought was, uh, was the signal for him to take care of things. Yeah, I, I read that. That was a little odd to me because, yeah, because Bredo never asked to be cryogenically frozen. I mean, that's important to note nope, as well. Nope. Um, but it also speaks to this very selfish nature of Trigby that he's really doing this for him and not for his grandfather. Yep. Uh, and I think that that really encapsulates both what's going on here and Trigvi as a person. And it just makes me wonder, like, what does the future hold for this story? I mean, it is it is a fascinating topic. I mean, it, it's it's really an interesting story. And even the stories within the stories, you know, we've talked about a lot of the stories within the stories here today. And that's really what kind of captivated me about what's going on here. Um, not so much the, you know, the overarching story, which is already in and of itself extremely interesting and unique. Well, well, well there was a time, just a real quick note on what you're talking about, there was a time back there near the end there when I couldn't contact Trigby and, and the word came that Trigby might be dead. Oh, wow. And so uh, I, I got a couple of people up in Netherlands, they, heard, they, heard, they called me and said, well, what the hell are we going to do? If he ain't around anymore, what do we do? We got this property with his dead body on it. And so, you know, a lot of the future depends upon what happens to Trigby. If something should happen to him, he gets a heart attack and drops dead or something, poof. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen to Grandpa up there, and neither does anybody else. Yeah, I mean, that that's the weird thing. I mean, I could see the town kind of coming together and paying for the dry ice runs to keep him on ice yeah, as their yeah, namesake. Yeah, keep it going. Yeah, yeah, you know, or, or, you know, build some kind of facility in the center of town. I mean, it's, yeah, the future, you know, it is as improbable as nanotechnology bringing back the dead. Uh, but there you have it. Now, people can get, now you still this website's still active. I think it's frozendeadguy.com, right? That's that's the website that's still yep, active. Yep. And and you're you're on Twitter as well. Uh yep, Bo the Iceman. Bo the Iceman. Although I, I've got a I've got a Gmail address that's Bo the X Iceman. <laughs> I like that. That's <laughs> Bo the X Iceman, I assume, at gmail.com. 
Well, so I appreciate you taking time out. Bo knows Frozen Dead Guys for sure. Uh, Bo Schaefer, the former, the ex-Iceman, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. It's fun every so often to bring up these old memories again and remember just exactly what the heck went on. <laughs> right. Well, distance does turn tragedy into humor, so I hopefully we're at that point <laughs> with this story. Uh, <laughs> and I hope everyone else got that same impression, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. Now, if you love this show, and how could you not, really, after hearing about the frozen dead guy? Well, to ensure that you get every episode, you got to subscribe. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. And if you're not familiar with those, don't worry. We got you covered. Go to fascinatingnouns.com where you can find links to all of those aforementioned podcasting platforms as well as our social media. You can find links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. Plus, you can find the full-length episode of everything everything we've done, our entire catalog right there on the website, organized either in chronological order by episode or by subject matter and guest. You can find it right at the top. There's all sorts of links up there. And if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do, or so I hope. Uh, go, go check out danieljglenn.com to find out if you do. And of course, thank you for listening. End of transmission. Thank you.